0: The truth.com
1: with your host, DJ Rome.
2: Hey, welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of Funk and Soul, my name is DJ Rome. I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. Oh my goodness, we have an amazingly polarizing discussion happening across our country right now with regard to reopening schools. And of course, you know we have an election coming up in November, and we're here to break it all down. Coming back to Psychotic Bump School, I wanna welcome back my good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller from radio station KPFK. We also have Lori Peacock, as well as Kat Brooks from radio station KPFA in Northern California. That's right, Kat, Jeff, and Lori is gonna be joining us this evening. Also, I want to highlight a special group of people who have come together to form some support services to meet this moment in time to address the mental health of our nation. They call themselves the ANN Now Collective. And that consists of Dr. Dina Scott, as well as Connie Chu. And they're gonna be joining us this evening to tell us all about their brand new ANN Now Collective. So that's our show. So you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Kat, Jeff, and Lori after this.
1: This is Joy Suddith, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
3: Yeah. As we continue on, take your all
4: back. Name this shit right here is called school days. To them school days. Do remember, yeah. you're listening to the Come Up. DJ On Point. Yeah, it, Dog, no, we came a long come way on. from sticking moves to in school just to scrap over. Even if you lose, it's a wrap. I'm clowning, it. it goes down in the lunchroom. I'm trying to spit this game. Ooh. Bus moves to the hallway. Once get hosted on the wall, always. Ain't thinking about class, dog. My ass the to parlay. If we had the shit always, we be standing here all day. But look, the principal coming, get pounds, then we all skate. All late to class with fake passes. Living life in the fast lane, but ain't passing. They tryna to be the next J's and Dame Dashes. Ain't even open my book, and it's time to change classes. Walk straight past my ex and don't speak, it's all good. I probably have a new ex by next week, I just think. We did with silly yo, I know that, but what I wouldn't get to go back, hey yeah, back in the days when I was young I'm not a kid anymore But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again Yeah, I sit and wish I was a kid again Yeah, I sit and wish Yo, I walk another girl to a class with my hand on that If he say what up later I just laugh real sneaky yo Gotta keep it low, up in math Let my n***a read this real freaky note Kiki wrote, yeah, hooping up in PE, You can't see me on this gym flow. But damn Vanessa Booty looking sick up in them gym shows huh? we back them up you Y'all niggas away, so they pass the hate like, damn, I can't wait till they graduate. But, some of my niggas will never make it. The SAT, man, I doubt they ever take it. Cause, instead of trying to send a nigga to a tutor, Them guidance counselors trying to introduce us to recruiters, it's a setup. Mama cut the light on, time to get up. Make sure the shirt matching the forces, and then I head out. Ha. At the time, I thought... So whack, but what I wouldn't get a go back, yeah. Hey, back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Yeah, I sit and wish I was a kid again. Yeah, I sit and wish. I'm a little grown, but still reminisce. Close your eyes, you remember this? Friday night football game, something I'll forever miss. After parties in the gym, grinding underneath the rim. You forgot your school ID. You ain't getting in. In the hallways, actin' like some like hoodlums. You see that scrap? Nah, damn, I always miss the good ones. Them rumors spreading fast with that he say, she say. Twenty people on the phone, cause everybody like did three-way. Man, that. we played them girls for the fools. But wasn't no ladies like them ladies from other schools. Cause seeing them same old chicks got tired quick. She was just my boy, now she all on my gossip. Damn, another chick pregnant, another... Gone. I reminisce on all the chicks and niggas have a bone of me, y'all, I'm just slipping through some codex Sitting wishing I can go back, huh? Yeah, back in the days when I was young I'm not a kid anymore But some days I'm sitting wish I was a kid again Yeah, I'm sitting wish I was a kid again Yeah, I'm sitting wish, man Yeah, just dedicated all my man RJ Aristotle, Ali B, yeah. Sherry. can't forget Class Deacon. 2003, that's me. Sup, Zach Brick. High. I know y'all love it. It's
2: the Come Up. Yes, we are back. KCWGtheTruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and oh my goodness, y'all there is just so much happening in the uh, the political discourse happening in our nation over the weekend the conversations about reopening schools has just exploded major debates debates that is have unfolded across our nation about the appropriateness of opening in the backdrop or in the foreground of this uh, pandemic called coronavirus you guys have been hearing the conversations one side says we need to reopen right now there's a side that also suggests that we should exercise caution given that we've had some very very significant recent spikes is it safe to reopen the schools what are the issues that are surrounding that we got black lives matter trending (laughs) right now as of what they've been doing in new york city and of course, we have an election coming up in November. There's so much going on, and so that's why I'm so happy to welcome back this panel. All three of these guests have been here multiple times. Uh, let me start with the uh, the sister returning from Southern California. She's a former educator, current star of the hour, actress. Ooh. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Lori Peacock. Lori, are you there?
5: I am here.
2: What's going on, Lori? And from up north, we have our sister, who's the co-hostess of a program called Upfront on KPFA, which is the sister station to my brother's station that I'm about to introduce in a second. So also welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Kat Brooks. Miss Brooks, are you there?
6: I am here and happy to be so. Thank you, brother.
2: Oh, welcome back, good sister. And last but not least, least but not the very last, the good brother, y'all know this, brother. He's been here multiple times, formerly with the Atlanta Falcons and currently the co-host of one of the top-rated radio programs in Southern California called the Pocho Hour of Power on KPFK. He's also an actor and comedian, political commentator, ladies and gentlemen. Also welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, my good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Mr. Keller, are you in the house?
3: Yes, sir. How you doing, Ron?
2: Oh, we are cool and the gang. Well. It's good to have y'all here. And I know that we are about to have a very robust conversation. I don't even know where to start. So I'm gonna start at the top y'all reopening schools. So uh, over the weekend, we heard from uh, Betsy DeVos, ladies and gentlemen, that um, that wonderfully um, appointed educational secretary, I think is her title, appointed by this administration. And uh, she was on CNN with uh, Dana Bash and uh, she had a tough time answering some very basic
5: questions (laughs) She always has a tough time answering very basic questions.
2: (laughs) Well, here to that point, uh, Lori, Kat, and Jeff, I want the audience to check out some of this. This is uh, Betsy DeVos uh, answering questions about her thoughts on reopening. So uh, stand by, check this out.
7: Let's move on to what happens if there's an outbreak. What are experts telling you about the appropriate level of transmission for a school before it has to shut down? Well, I know that that's an area that the CDC is helping to provide further insight into. Um, I I can't, as a non-physician or a non-medical expert, tell you precisely what to do in the case of one child in a classroom or five children in a classroom, but the, the key is Every school should have plans for that situation to right. be able to pivot and ensure that kids can continue learning uh, at a distance if they have to. For but a short you're the Secretary of, time. of Education, you're asking students to go back. So, why do you not have guidance on what a school should do just weeks before you want those schools to reopen? And what happens if it faces an outbreak? You know, there's really good examples that have uh, been utilized in the private sector and in and elsewhere, also with frontline workers and hospitals, and all of that data and all of that information and all of those examples can be referenced by okay, school leaders. But I'm not do hearing have a plan for the opportunity. opportunity. Do you have a plan? The, 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 the plan do. do. so.
2: I can't take it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, uh, Kat and Jeff, see, the, the thing is, they, they want the district to just figure it out. It's like, mm-hmm. back in the day, I used to hear this statement like, look, a lack of planning on your part should not constitute an emergency on my part. Uh, Lori, what do you think about what you just heard? That was Betsy DeVos, our
5: educational son. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. She's horrible. She's, oh she, was, she was not qualified for the job. Hmm. Um, She has not risen to the challenge of the job that she has had. Every interview I've ever heard her speak in is very similar to what we just heard there. She dodges, she's inarticulate, she doesn't know what she's talking about, she doesn't have the information, she she doesn't even have the capability to spin it in any way that makes it sound like she knows what she's talking about. She is completely useless and has been, from the beginning, and absolutely, that is what we need. We need leadership. We need someone to say, "These are the guidelines for going back to school. Districts take it or leave it. This is what we're going to do if things have an out. If we have an outbreak right away, districts take it or leave it." So, give an overview, give a parameter, give expectations, and then allow the districts and the schools to make to, to either follow that or make their own decisions. But give something. Just, you know, open up schools because we need the kids to have a place to go because I'm getting letters from parents saying I need somewhere for my my kids to go isn't enough of a solution. And she's just not equipped to put anything together, which is amazing to me because you could go to your average kindergarten teacher and I guarantee you they would have better answers and responses than, than she does.
2: Well, the operative word there is teacher. I don't know what experience she has actually teaching in a classroom. None. I absolutely none she's none. none right okay so kat, she's just a
5: millionaire or a billionaire i don't know she's just exactly,
2: rich exactly so kat I'm, I'm coming to you next uh check this out she she went on and um in all her articulateness to try to answer uh, more questions and uh this further highlights the doublespeak that we're dealing with and why we're having such a problem so cat brooks stand by i'm coming to you next hold on
7: than that of a school in the that's, Upper installation. Exactly, of and that's the point. That's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. But you are arguing over and over that they should handle this on a local level. But at the same time, as the Secretary of Education, you are trying to, to push them to do a, a one-size-fits-all approach, which is go back and reopen schools. You can't have it both ways. I am urging all schools to be re, to open and to be providing their students a full-time education we all acknowledge that that could and may well look different in a certain area that has a flare-up of the virus but the but the go to should be that schools are opening and fully functional and operational and giving so parents and families the flexibility that's necessary. So if there is so a situation where a child is a vulnerable is a has a vulnerable you know, underlying condition that the parents could have a choice to okay, be able so to, just to, to be clear are you uh, saying that areas ed- where there is a flare-up that schools should revert to remote learning. <laughs> I'm saying that schools should have plans, like Miami-Dade County has. They should.
2: Have- okay, so the schools should have plans, but she doesn't have one. So that that's the problem. Uh, what she was just asked, Kat, was that in the event there's a flare-up with this scenario that you desire, I mean, everybody has the end game in mind. Everybody wants schools to be fully reopened at some point. That I don't think there's any disagreement about that, but some people want certain measures to be Put in place, certain safety precautions and some guarantees that we're going to adhere to some CDC guidelines. Uh, she wants the schools to have a plan, Cat, but she herself doesn't have one. What are your thoughts on that?
6: Listen, there, there's nothing I want more <clears throat> for my daughter to, mm-hmm. is, than to be able for her to enjoy her sophomore year of high school, right, and, and go to the dances and be with her friends and hang out with them all and go off campus for lunch and all, all of those things and have the one-on-one learning that we know is so critical for their academic development. What is missing here is the fact that this is a deadly virus that is now also killing children. Come on. And even if the child does not die from the virus, then they take that home to their parents or their grandparents or their community. And so I don't even understand how we're having this conversation when we're clocking thousands upon thousands of new infections and deaths every single day inside of this country. Mm. And so for her to be like, well, let's just see what happens. Or even a conversation about if there's a spike, there's going to be a spike. We saw that with the reopening of the states. We're spiking now. That's, well, that's my point, is that we reopened as states mm. and we saw this huge spike. So what do you think is going to happen when we reopen at schools? And why are we not learning from the lessons from reopening as a state to inform what we're doing in terms of reopening at schools? And that's that's what's problematic. And the other thing that's problematic about her not having a plan, and really nobody having a plan, is, is that part of why we're seeing a spike is because the people are clear that nobody knows what they're talking about, right? So for three months, we were told, don't go anywhere, you'll die. And then we're like, oh, put on a mask and go outside, it's good. Mm-hmm. So, so folks are like, I don't, I don't know what to think I don't know what to believe I don't know who to take seriously um, and, and that's what we're seeing now Except for right now we're talking about playing with the lives of children mm-hmm. and, and, and their families And so I'm not surprised she doesn't have a plan She was clearly trying to don, uh, tap dance around you know, Donald Trump's rhetoric And not get in trouble with her boss um, and, and it's terrifying To me the thought of packing hundreds of, hundreds of kids in, in some districts Thousands of kids back into a school when we are seeing tens of thousands of new cases every single day is absolutely irresponsible. And from my perspective, the plan should be how to redirect federal dollars to ensure that kids can get what they need and families can get what they need so that kids can, can socially distance learn in a way that's productive for the entire community.
2: Absolutely. Jeffrey Kelly, you've often spoken about that on this show, uh, the fact that funding normally comes from local communities. It's, it's, it's not necessarily predominantly funded by uh, at the federal level. And yet she's insisting upon cutting funds if schools don't reopen and encourage parents who are in districts where the schools are deciding not to like full out 100% open to go to other school districts where we are going to send our funds, you know, and that could be voucher schools or what have you, because she's all about that. Uh, Mr. Keller, what do you think about that? Because you spoke in your opening about uh, the funding of schools and how they actually need to increase funding rather than uh threaten to take funding away just like the Obamacare argument or the Affordable Care Act. Mr. Keller, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, ten percent I think of the school budget comes from federal funds. Um so for them to say we're gonna pull it, it's ten percent. My problem is if you want them to open and they have to add on to the to deficit of their budget, you need to cover that. If mm. you want if you don't want teachers to become ill. I mean, you know, you have older teachers out there. You're gonna have students come in at, you know, Just because you take their temperature, you think they don't have the coronavirus? Uh you all know that's not true. So all all of a sudden, you're going to have teachers getting sick and maybe dying, principals getting sick and maybe dying. You know, with DeVos, she had a a four, four, because I saw the whole interview, she had like a four-sentence playbook, open the schools and Uh put it on the states, put it on the districts. They had no plan. She didn't say, okay, if there's a flare-up, we recommend this. If uh, yep. these people have a major situation, then we recommend this. She, there was nothing. She just says, she looked like a person, she looked like Mike Tyson or a Spelling Bee. I mean, she looked lost. It was, it was, it was horrible.
2: Mike Tyson, he's a pretty sharp cat, though.
3: You <laughs> <laughs> better spell cat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I have a cat on the phone. Uh, this is K- <laughs> KWB, truth.com's program. It's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the good brother Mr. Jeffrey Keller. We also have Cat Brooks and the good sister, Lori Peacock. We're talking about uh, the school's reopening. So uh, I couldn't agree more with all three of y'all. I, I think the problem is in a nutshell right here. This is uh, the good brother, Dr. Bernard Ashby. And a shout out to all the doctors that have been on Psychiatry Bump School, Dr. Shakiri Mill, uh, Dr. Reggie Robinson. Uh, and, and I know I'm leaving a couple of people out, but um, Dr. Ashby, like Dr. Robinson, is a cardiologist. But he's in Florida where... We're like witnessing some, some serious problems with ICU beds now coming in stark shortage. They got some problems there, but in a nutshell, this brother has nailed the problem. So check this out real quick, y'all. So to be clear, um, the 2020 has been a fake news Olympics when it comes to the coronavirus, straight up. I mean, basically anybody who thinks they know anything about anything has come out and basically gave, given their expertise Meanwhile, you, know, you know, they're not listening to the healthcare professionals. And that's what's going on with our leadership. The data does show that children don't uh, get as sick. Um, they don't spread it as readily.
8: And so uh, it, it's very promising. So the health care professionals do agree that we do want kids to return to school. We're all on the same page here. question is how. And I won't trust the leadership on the how because they have failed us time and time again. And at the end of the day, like, we're we're the healthcare professionals, and I need mean the politicians who don't know the science to stay in their lane and let the healthcare professionals leave and stop stepping on us or smothering us when we're trying to explain things that make perfect sense uh, from, from a medical standpoint. We practice evidence-based medicine, so we let the data dictate our
2: policies, not the other way around. Okay. I got
7: to give the, the brother some dap on that. As the secretary I got to give education. him dap on that
2: because he, he broke it down because that's the problem when you have people that are not expert at their particular uh, position it's going to be a problem and that's exactly the the uh the the that's impacting our leadership from 45 on down unqualified hasn't met the standard of criteria uh if they were sitting for a job interview uh they would be considered uh, the least qualified persons to occupy the positions that they have. And that's the sad state that we're in. We're not well, listening to the experts. Go ahead.
6: I was just going to say quickly, and then the experts that we do have, like Dr. Fauci and and that team are being muzzled, right? right. Like clearly, even at the briefings that they give or the, the hearings, you know, that have happened on COVID, they are walking a tightrope to be able to keep doing their jobs, which I believe they're committed to, and not getting the ire or earning the ire of this president that has absolutely no idea what he's talking about.
2: Yeah, it's very frustrating. I gotta give you props on that because (laughs) you broke it down to a spinal compound. In a nutshell, that is the problem. That is the problem. Yes, We we need leadership. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bum School, I'm DJ Rome. We are back with the good brother, Jeffrey Keller. Lori Peacock, the good sister, and the other good sister, Miss Kat Brooks from Upfront KPFA. So ladies and gentlemen, um, ever since the onset of the uh, these protests that have just been running through the streets, uh, the George Floyd protests just of, sort of broke the levy down, right? Um, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, we just reached what people are referring to as a critical mass in this country, and the fallout from that has led to some very, very, um, well, I want to talk about some of the changes that have ensued in the uh, the wake of the George Floyd protests. Uh, something that I was talking to Cat Brooks about before we came on the air, uh, police departments have been negotiating with various school districts as one example to eliminate police officers from being in the schools, they call them SROs or school resource officers. We have police departments, Cat Brooks in Minneapolis, that have filed disability claims because they say they're experiencing PTSD uh, based upon the, uh, the onset of the George Floyd protests. Jeff, Laurie, and Kat, they're saying that they're so stressed out now that people are watching them and trying to hold them accountable that they can't do their jobs no more. Kat Brooks, what are your thoughts on all this fallout from the uh, the George Floyd protests and then everybody we're going to talk about a little bit of this Black Lives Matter stuff. But first, Cat Brooks, what are your thoughts on that?
6: My thoughts. Are, I can't do your show at Sundays at ten no more, brother, because it's too <laughs> early for my head to hurt this bad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Ouch! There's so much going on. You're doing a great job, though. Thank
6: you. Um, so, so a couple of things, right? So, so, so one is the. If you go back to even recent history, 2014, 2015, when the Black Lives Matter movement exploded, and I want to be really clear that the Black Lives Matter movement was not the beginning of resistance against police violence. It was another flow in what has been a long-term movement that some would you know, credit the Panther Party with beginning in the 1960s. But I say we've been fighting since the first kidnapped African landed on these shores. <clears throat> That's, that said, there was a full-blown communication strategy, right? I'm a comms person. There was that's the, That was when Blue Lives Matter started. That was when there was all these images about, you know, back the blue, uh, trying to remind us that those are the ones that keep us safe and, oh, the poor cops and, oh, you know, how dangerous of a job it is. It is more dangerous. There are more deaths that happen every single year among garbage collectors than there are among police in this country. Those are just facts. You can Google that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm looking at now, particularly – as, as they're really f- actually taking some L's. So we didn't, we didn't extract, I don't think too much out of the peak of the BLM movement from 2014 to I guess you'd say about 2016. What we did do was raise public consciousness, right? Like it shifted the conversation about police and policing and public safety and what public safety actually is in this country. This particular iteration of, of this movement moment, there are actually things that are being extracted. You mentioned like police departments and schools being defunded here in Oakland. We have a commitment from city council and the city administration that they're going to defund the Oakland Police Department by 50 percent next budget cycle, which is a campaign we've been fighting for five years. Mm. Um, you see cuts in, in Los Angeles. Like, it, it's happening. And so to me, when we talk about like what's happening in Minneapolis and the cops are saying they have PTSD, not only is it a slap in the face, because we live with PTSD from the time we're in our parents' womb, and by we, I mean black people, from the time we're in our parents' womb and every waking breath we take walking the streets of this country, because we never know when our loved ones leave, when we leave, are we going to make it home? If we get pulled over, even though all of our L's are straight, are we going to die? What's that thing that that I'm going to do or say that's going to get me killed? So. Watch my mouth. Forget <laughs> you, your PTSD, because I almost went all the way there. Um, right. But it's, it's, it's a calm strategy. And, and what I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts on is that you're going to see this play out around the country. And what I also would bet dollars to donuts on is that it's going to be police associations who are the prime motivators of this kind of pushback. They're going to be launching these, these campaigns nationwide. It's offensive, but it also should be very clear to people that this is a dog whistle and what that dog whistle should indicate to you is that they have no intention of acknowledging that there are fundamental problems with the way that people are policed black people and brown people and indigenous folks because they get left out of the conversation too much the way that we are policed in this country and that police are the front line warriors to uphold race-based capitalism in this country and they have no intention of stopping to do their job policing is not broken in this country Is not broken. It, it, it is existing the way it has always existed. Born out of the slave, slave patrols, designed to uphold race-based capitalism then, holding up race-based capitalism now. And so it should be a, a signal to organizers that we're not winning on that front, right, at all. They have no interest in transforming. Because if they had interest in transforming, they'd be talking about the PTSD that they've inflicted on the community in Minneapolis for however many years. Thank you. That's the conversation that we should be having. Right, you talking about, you? I think the article you sent me, Rome, talked about that they were counting bullets to make sure that they had one for themselves so they didn't get beat to death. Stop it right now. Really? Stop (laughs) it right this second.
2: So tell them about, okay, so what she's talking about, Minneapolis police officers were saying that they were so stressed out, ladies and gentlemen, that just in case they were getting beat down in a mob, and just in case they were getting beat down in a mob by the absolute lawlessness of the citizens who were protesting, that if they were losing that fight, that they had a bullet, they were counting bullets, right, Kat? They were yes, counting bullets to, to do what? To, to, do to
6: take out their own lives so they didn't get beat to death. I'm sorry, where? You tell me where. Where has that happened? Anywhere where? in this country. Where? You tell me where. Now, there's places in the Caribbean that this happened. <laughs> I see some places on the oh, continent oh. where this happened. Right. Where is that happening here? Right. It is not happening here. It's a false narrative meant to drum up empathy and distract from the very real issue, which is the violent nature, the deadly nature, of policing in this country. It's a dog whistle, and it's, it's offensive.
3: Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you're listening to The Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh,
8: yeah. We're going to let the band deal with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. M-I-A style. <laughs> Old school.
1: Uh-huh. Shut up,
4: uh-huh, okay, what's up okay. Shut up, uh-huh, okay, what's up okay. Shut up, uh-huh, okay, they can't. what's up <laughs> Shut up, uh-huh, okay, what's up Right around right right in my brand new 99 photo Volvo I got a pocket full of bees. So they ain't got no place to go, though But all my boys, they know, though, that's for sure, though Are those big boy jeans you're wearing? Hell nah, you know they polo I have been used again, I choose again this
8: time been rolling, y'all with something done by one of my youth and friends. Soon as they seen the hate and season
4: was in. Hell, cause they ain't feeling me, but the I understand and they reason being. But I'm the man for this. While y'all been doing fine, I was doing time, just Pray for this. Locked up, make a plan for this. Without all that fancy, way too advanced for this. Got polo socks, tank top, and drawers up one of my plans. Shut up, uh huh. Okay, what's up? Shut up, uh huh. Okay, what's up? Shutter uh huh, okay, what's up, shutter, uh huh, okay, what's up,
2: shutter, uh huh, okay, what's up, shutter, uh huh, okay, what's up, shutter, uh huh, okay, what's up, shutter, okay, what's up, This is what we're talking about, because just like that, which is not real, there's there's no widespread police officer, although there were some police officers shot over this weekend. And so I want to give that acknowledgement and, you know, send a rest in peace to them and God bless their families and the whole nine. But widespread, Lori, there's not a mass uprising of people assaulting police officers. Okay. You might have pockets of resistance here and there, but to, to that extent it, it, and and it just leads me to the fact that how they label black lives matter, just as another example, like cats talking about the dog whistling, as a terrorist organization, when all this oh. is responding to the injustice.
5: So Laurie, what are your thoughts on that? Then Jeff, I'm gonna come to you. Right, the, 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 the Black Lives Matter being terrorists, that is so horrifying and, and ter- terrible for me. And it drives me crazy. But as far as police, I, I used to watch the news every day. I don't anymore because it's just gotten too, too much. But um, the local news, and every single morning, every morning, In L.A. or Orange County, there was an officer involved shooting where somebody died every single day, usually more than one. And I'm thinking to myself, if you rob a liquor store, if you jaywalk, if you do whatever, should your punishment be murder by the firing squad, death by firing squad, which is what it is? And I think that, you know, and then you get the argument, well, they're, they're scared for their lives and they could be endangered. No, I I disagree. I if the person is not armed, if the person is just doing their thing, they do not deserve to die by firing squad. Give them, take them to jail, let them be tried, let them go to prison if that's what the crime is, or the 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 um, the punishment should be. But I just think that people shouldn't just be shot for committing minor crimes, and it has been a problem. It has been something that our as as Kat mentioned, our our country has endured for for decades, for centuries, and people have spoken out about it and against it. But now, with this Black Lives Matter, it, it, it's it's making a point. And again, people who have problems with it are obviously very very racist, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know that's a big problem. So and to, and to deny igni- it and to say I have PTSD rather than, as Pat mentioned, mm-hmm. to acknowledge what we what we have done. The, the biggest thing a person can ever do, I think, is to acknowledge and admit a mistake. And admit when they were fundamentally wrong, and that is something that our president has never done and will never do. And then so many people follow suit with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's just acknowledge it, make you can't change it, but you can at least have remorse for it and make move forward to make change. And one thing that I think the protests have done is there have been fundamental changes in organizations in areas where they've realized they have made huge mistakes, and even in my company where I work with a large you know, $8, $10 billion company, the CEO comes out and he speaks about, a white man speaks about how he his eyes were opened as a result of all of this mm-hmm. and how he needs to take a look at his company and how he can make changes to improve things. And not just by hiring more minorities, but by hiring more black people. Uh, because we're a very diverse company, but we've got people from all over the country, but not a whole lot of black people. So when you ask somebody how diverse your company is, oh, we're so diverse. Yeah, but, but if they're not black people, if they're just other ethnicities, are you really that diverse? So, you know, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but it's definitely the protests have made a difference. They yeah. have. They haven't done it all, clearly. And the fact that the president is saying that protesters are terrorists is just and then, of course, his people are going to buy into that is mm-hmm. disgusting. But um, but I'm I'm seeing changes made even in LAUSD, the biggest district in the in the uh, or second in the country. They're mm-hmm. looking at disbanding or have disbanded their fire their police department. So okay, um, you know things are things are happening.
2: Absolutely. We just need to
5: keep it going.
2: We do, and so it begs the question, Jeffrey Kel, How do you measure progress? Because everything Captain Laurie said is is accurate, and if hiring practices are a part of it, then. Ah, uh, perhaps all this protesting is making a difference. And I know Jeffrey Keller has actually done the work on the ground to work with different police departments and how they're policing their communities. Jeffrey Keller, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Um, first of all, you know what everybody said is so on point. Um, but you know everything is is historical, like Cat was talking about. When Martin Luther King was marching, they tried to put up pictures of him saying he was a communist, and he's sitting at <laughs> communist meetings to, you know, get the public not to want to ride with him or believe in his beliefs. The Black Panther Party, they tried to say that they were a militant group when they were doing nothing but saving Black lives and, and, and doing things to help the Black community self-being self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is nothing new when they say that Black lives is a—it's just to get public support. That's right. um, you know, I don't want crumbs. You know, you've already invested so much money in making uh, high schools and junior high schools and black communities look like prisons by putting up all these fences and having all these police standing there. You don't even know what the difference is between a, 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 a prison and a school anymore. Um, you right. know, LA's nice, they cut the budget, $25 million for their school police budget. Okay, nice. But you know, we I don't want crumbs. I want the recipe. I want to, I want to cook the pie. Sit at the table. and We can all split it up and talk about equality. And so you know, if I'm going to sing the African uh, uh, national anthem, I don't give a damn about that. What I care about is give me some black owners in the in the, in the NFL and in, mm-hmm. in, in in the baseball, and that's what I want. Give me GM, just like. Uh, you know, get get me give me where black people can get our own and, and start making money and being self supporting and get up to the level where they where they've made their money off off the backs of black people. Well then let us make let let us get some of that money back. So exactly. don't give me crumbs. Right. I don't want crumbs. It's nice you wanna cut the budget in twenty five million. But what you gonna do with that twenty five million? Well we're gonna have some psychiatrists, we're gonna have some counselors. No. Put it in there so we can get some businesses and we can grow our businesses so we can have wealth and we can pass it on to gen- we can have that generational wealth that's what they need to focus on
2: and that's what real change will look like this is KCWG the truth.com's program called Psychotic Bump School I'm DJ Rome that was a good brother Jeffrey Keller we're also here with Lori Peacock and Miss Kat Brooks well I can't thank y'all enough for being here I'm gonna see if I can squeeze in one more thing before I let y'all go uh, we have an election coming up in November and um, it's gonna be a landslide y'all Uh, Check this out. There's been a a rise of Republican, uh, anti-Trump Republicans putting together these ads, and I'm going to see if I can get this one to play right here by the Lincoln Project. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by.
8: It's not a campaign. It's a billion-dollar criminal enterprise. Donald Trump says he's running on Law & Order. I am the Law & Order candidate. Who's he kidding? Trump's campaign manager is a felon. His deputy campaign manager is a felon. His national security advisor, a felon. His foreign policy advisor is a felon. His personal lawyer is a felon his longtime personal advisor, a felon. Nixon was bad. Trump is worse. Now, Trump saves Roger Stone. Stone lied to cover up Russian involvement in Trump's campaign to protect Donald Trump. Seven felony convictions. I am the law and order candidate. Trump is the most corrupt president in US history. There's only one way to end the Trump crime spree, throw him and his crooks out of office on November 3rd vote for justice the Lincoln project is responsible for the content of this advertising the Lincoln project
2: has been going upside that proverbial skull with these ads they are consisting of I think Rick Wilson uh, Mike Midland is another one and uh, I think even Eugene Craig he's one of the uh, african-american brothers a republican that's supporting this cause ladies and gentlemen they are not taking their eye off the sparrow. They are planning to run through the tape. They're competing in Senate races. They're running these ads in competitive Senate districts as well. Uh, Whether they're running in this election cycle or in 2024 or in 2026, they are thinking long-term because they're saying, we're not only gonna eliminate this guy, we're gonna also eliminate Trumpism. With that type of focus, my argument is that It's not going to be pretty in November and there's going to be a change of administration. Uh, Anybody want to chime in on that? Lori, Jeff or Kat? Because I got a whole lot I could say about it, but we're almost out of time. I'm saying it's going to be a landslide in November. Your thoughts?
6: Rome, I hope you're right. I I, I do. I I don't, I don't, I I don't know that I agree. And, And I'm, you know, in 2016, I was clear. I said it on my show every single day. Trump is going to be the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump is America unmasked He is not an anomaly He is not the exception to the rule He is the rule um, I think that this election is, is complicated I think that, that uh, The pandemic has made it complicated I think that this latest iteration Of the movement to defend black lives Has made it complicated I think the fact that there's an economic impact That is hitting people right. In a way across race Across you know, gender, across class um, Makes it complicated
2: I don't know that I'm ready to say it's going to be a landslide, and isn't part that of that perfect, isn't that a perfect storm for a landslide? Victory? It
6: would be if we had a candidate that wasn't boring, that was challenging him.
2: <laughs> 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 it would be
6: if Joe Biden wasn't such. And I like Uncle Joe actually, and I I catch a lot of crap from that from my my more progressive and you know revolutionary friends. I like Uncle Joe. I think he's a drunk that with a red nose that is is humorous. I, I don't <laughs> think that he is inspiring or doing what he needs to do to galvanize the black vote. And the black vote is what is going to dictate that outcome in this election. And if we can't get black folks to the polls, mm-hmm. if we can't interrupt voter disenfranchisement, which we're already seeing with the fight around mail-in ballots and is it safe to vote and who's gonna go out and vote and who's gonna stand in the line, you know, six feet apart from people in the midst of a pandemic. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm clear that part of what got Trump elect, elected was white backlash to the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as white backlash to the fact that we had the first black man um, mm-hmm. president ever, which was Obama. And i got my own issues with him, too. Right. That said, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's too hard to call. I think there's still a very real possibility that yes. Trump will be the president of this country for another four years.
2: And I think we should brace ourselves for that possibility, Kat. And I, I talk this way because I want people to be excited. Jeff, I'm coming to you in just a second. But, Laurie, the reason why Kat is right to be cautious is because I looked at the exit poll data in Florida uh, in 2018 when uh, the current governor, Ron DeSantis, beat out Andrew Gillum. And there was all this, you know, ground swelling interest in Andrew Gillum. But the difference maker was the issue of school choice. I mean, we've been talking about schools and reopening schools during the first portion of this conversation, and Black women, the turnout for Black women in favor of Ron DeSantis, this is the guy who said, voters don't monkey this up. They picked DeSantis over Gillum because he supported school choice. Black people care about that stuff. So it's not a slam dunk to Kat's point. They do need to galvanize the Black base and they have to keep these issues in mind. I still say, despite that, that he is in trouble. I'm talking about the incumbent. He's in a lot of trouble come November. Lori Peacock, what are your thoughts?
7: I
5: hope, like Kat, I hope you are right. Um, after 2016, I don't know anymore. I don't know anything. And I could never, ever say landslide um, because- I'll say this, it. Yeah, you say <laughs> it, but I, and and I hope you're right. But I just, with the people, there's so many closet <laughs> racists and that mm-hmm. are, they're coming out and they're not even closet anymore. They're just coming out in public, spewing their hate and their racism every single day. So mm. I just don't know what can happen. I, I hope and I pray that we get rid of him and that things change fundamentally and that we get, you know, somebody, Biden, obviously, that that, that it isn't Trump, right? Anybody but Trump, right, you would think would be better. But But they voted for him in the first place, knowing what a slime ball he was, knowing how unethical he was. And so this is, and, and his supporters still support him, and there are plenty of people who still, even whether they'll admit it or not, still will vote for him because of their underlying racial issues. And, or they're just Republican, who've been Republican forever, and that's what they're gonna do no matter what. So, and then especially when they talk about the left and the, and the, you know, the, the fanatics and the Antifa and all of this, and they try to make us look like we're less than human, right? Mm -hmm. During the protests, all they wanted to focus on was the looting and the crime and, and, and make it look like, you know, I, I even heard, I heard people saying, you know, the spike in, uh, in COVID is because of the protesting. No, it's not. It's because of the people in Orange County going out to restaurants refusing to wear masks, the white people refusing to wear masks. So Mm. you know, I hope you're right. I hope, I don't even care if it's a landslide. If it's a small margin, I just hope we get rid of him. I cannot take this for another four years. I don't think the country can take this for another four years. Uh, I don't know what it'll do to us. I I don't know that we'd be the strongest nation in the world if we have this going on. Mm. And um, I haven't seen a single campaign or ad uh, I, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I haven't. I don't think Biden is 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 really making a splash. He could be really <laughs> taking advantage of this time right now to call out all of this. You know what I would do if I was president right now? This is what I would do. I would have this in place. I would do this. But I don't. Don't I don't see enough of him? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Uh, fortunately, I do all the TV watching for you. <laughs> so I can tell you before I go to Jeffrey Keller. Uh, He's getting out there more. He was just in Pennsylvania where he released his uh, economic plan that was assembled with help from Elizabeth Warren, who is a little bit more progressive than he is, right, Kat? And so I know Biden is not your favorite, but he is consulting with members of the Warren campaign, Warren herself, as a matter of fact, as well as uh, the Sanders campaign, where they just submitted uh, a sort of a hybrid model of uh, economic plan. Uh, Kat, if you have something else to say about that, I'd like to hear about it. Uh, But Jeffrey Keller, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, and Jeffrey Keller, remember, the president of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, I think his name is, got the coronavirus. Boris Mm -hmm. Johnson of the UK got coronavirus. Trump Jr., uh, this has nothing to do with it. And, you know, it's going to sound like I'm gloating because I I don't really want to gloat anybody's misfortune. But even Sean Hannity, uh, Donald Trump Jr., both of them, uh, sadly, are... I don't want to talk about that because I, I don't want to gloat.
5: Sadly, did they get coronavirus?
2: No, no, but no, they didn't. <laughs> I was going to say that they, they went through a divorce, but it, it's, it's going to sound like I'm gloating. But the point I'm trying to make is that there is a groundswell that's running away from this current guy in office. Okay. In addition to that, he just postponed a rally that was supposed to happen in New Hampshire over this weekend, blaming it on the weather. But the reality is it was going to be another low turnout.
5: Ain't nobody going to show up, Exactly. Mr.
2: Exactly. And you don't want an
5: empty stadium because I just look like, sad.
2: Just like Tulsa. So this is what I'm saying, <laughs> Jeffrey Keller. This is all leading me to believe. Now, caveat, it's not over. We still have to run through the tape. We still got to count every vote. We still got to get voters to the polls. But I say this guy is in a lot of trouble. Jeffrey Keller, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, well, we've talked about this. I, I'm not on the same vein as you. <laughs> that's you that out there.
2: Is anybody out there on my side? No, Doesn't seem not- like it, Rome.
3: <laughs> the hey I- there, lonely
5: boy. It's you're <laughs> on your
3: own on this one. You know why do you think he put Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group? That wasn't for that was for his base. You know that was Absolutely. for the strategic states that he wants to win. He knows yes. it's not about California. He knows mm-hmm. it's about the electoral college in certain states, and he- he, that's where he's going at and he knows that they think that black people are trying to get rights and take over this country they will go vote for him
9: mm-hmm. and that's what
3: he's counting on and plus you know his his daughter you know owns a patent to the voting machines how, her and
2: jared right how,
3: yeah. how, how she can do that I, that's crazy to me
2: that's in so, ohio or uh is, do you know which st- i think that's in ohio right
3: um the patent on she got that through, through, I guess we do it through China, right? That she got the patent through. Oh, okay. And so yeah. so yeah. she owns the, the the patents to the voting machines.
2: Oh, that's cute. Okay.
3: And so, you know, kind of like when, when when Bush won his first well, a W, you know, when the uh, Attorney General did a general search on felons. And mm-hmm. so they took off, say, Jeff Keller, all the Jeff Kellers off the voting uh, uh ledgers. They took them all off instead of the single one. And so you had a bunch of black people that couldn't vote because their name not on the voting uh, ledgers. But and But we so, all know there's only one Jeffrey Keller whose mom is white. That's right. <laughs> but they didn't put that in a specific uh, search. They did a general search. Okay. And so when you do things like that, and that's the only reason he won Florida, because black people couldn't vote, mm. because they took their names off the ledger because they thought they were felons.
2: Now remember, Florida just reinstated they tried to challenge it i mean i I, trust me y'all i'm not naive and i know we got to run through the tape and i know there's no guarantee but i talk like this because i don't want us limping into the ballot box or the voting booth in november thinking that we are so far deep into this distrust of the electoral process that our votes are not going to make a difference even if we want it badly enough I want us to go in with trash talk and be excited that we know the guy running against the incumbent is a far better qualified, upstanding family man who raised his children even after they had a car accident, lost his first wife, raised his kids by himself until he met his second wife, who he's still married to. And he's just the embodiment of empathy and decency. Not a perfect candidate. I'm not going to give him that litmus test because like Kat said, a lot of people had issues with uh, Barack Obama go
6: ahead Rome, yes we, we 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 did this dance the last time i was on your show you cannot say that that man embodies decency i just i can't like no you cannot say that and i said he's more decent than in the incumbent we absolutely yes absolutely listen i want to be really clear it, it, vote for biden please everybody get out and vote <laughs> for biden i am not telling you to okay. not vote for biden what i am saying is know who you are voting for and right. then have a plan to hold them accountable and let's be real about how, who we're voting for you and i have different definitions um as we talked about about whether or not he's a rapist or not okay. um, your your statement last time was like well he might be gropy feely but that's not the same
9: mm-hmm.
6: so you don't get to say he might be gropey feely and then say he's the embodiment of decency <laughs>
9: let's just be
6: that's honest a point. about that's who we're talking about mm-hmm. and maybe the urgency is is that. If he is a better option than Trump, we are really in trouble.
7: Mm-hmm. And
6: so we better vote for him so we can get some breathing space to actually figure this out, right? I'm saying, don't lie to the folks. Or don't, let's not, you know, massage the messaging. Let's be real mm-hmm. about what what we're dealing with and what we need to do. And absolutely, we got to get Trump out of office.
2: It's a fair point about the the touchy-feely part. I still stand by that uh, he's a better candidate. So we, we agree. Absolutely. That, right? We
6: agree okay. there. All okay. day. All day. Corey, I'm not Corey, fighting that. Okay. Cool. I'm just Corey, Corey, saying he's not, Corey, he's not the embodiment
2: of DC. He's not the embodiment of DC. Okay. That's a <laughs> but
5: what but what politician that well, other than Obama, I think, but what politician that gets to that level really truly is. It's a high standard, uh, right? Uh, it is. And uh, but I but I, I worry about the landslide thing, Rome, because I feel like people back in 2016 really didn't think Trump had much of a shot. I don't mm-hmm. even think Trump thought he could win, to and be my, honest.
6: And I, I don't know. think he thought he could win. You see yeah, how shocked I, he was. I don't think I,
5: I truly. I really don't think he thought he could win. So and I don't think the American people did. So I think a lot of people either didn't vote or did vote for him, who were Republican, even though they because they didn't think it would matter. Uh, because they didn't want point? because they didn't want to vote for Hillary. So or they stole the
6: election. I mean, let's just put that out there. Or the election was stolen. I mean,
2: absolutely. See, you yeah. you made my point better than what I was going to say to Lori Kat. So Lori, let me try it this way. This is a different candidate this time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's still always the the prospect of the November or the October surprise because they're still going to do... We still haven't heard from shady Rudy Giuliani in a while, so you know something's coming from him. And the prosecutor Graham, his last name is Graham, but they have reopened that investigation about the very inception of the uh, the Russian investigation. That's somebody that was appointed by Barr. So there's going to be more to come. But what's different about this cycle compared to 2016 is that for some, well, I'm not gonna say for some reason, it's obvious. Like Hillary Clinton was a highly, highly polarizing candidate. And people, for some reason, just didn't like her. And I'm talking right. about women. Women weren't feeling yeah, Hillary Clinton. A lot of
5: people didn't like her. You're absolutely right. I'm just so saying. This time,
2: this time, you think that Biden is on par with that level of dissatisfaction as far as a
5: Democratic candidate? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we cannot hold, we cannot be complacent and we cannot think that it's a given, I agree. right? Because I we agree. just can't, we just can't be thinking, because who knows? You don't know how many of those closet racists who didn't vote are going to come out and vote now. So we have to do everything that we can I to agree. make sure that we get this election. We just can't rest on our laurels and think, well, Trump's a piece of... You know what? And everybody's over him, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get him out because look at people are sick of him. No, we have to do everything we can. We have to rally. We have to phone bank. Absolutely. We have to donate. We have to Absolutely. do all those things to make sure that we that we we cannot sit back and just ass- and say we're gonna win this because look at all of the look at all of these things that he's done. No, we, we we can't. Correct. That's that's all I'm
3: saying. That's all
2: I, I'm saying. I'm not- I concur. Go ahead, Jeff.
3: And when you when you say landslide, that scares me because then people won't go
5: vote. Cause thinking, That's exactly what I'm saying. They, oh, we got
2: to it, it. Right. They're to me. They on y'all side. <laughs> well,
3: so when you say when you say close, it's going to be close, and people will be scared. And then right, right. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. And then the other thing is this: this what I think is going to happen. You heard it her first. Come on. You ready?
2: You ready? Break it wrong? down, break it down, Jeffrey Keller.
3: The Jeffrey Epstein video going to come out with Trump and some 14 year old. Oh,
9: snap.
2: Oh, How do we say that woman's name? Is it Gislaine or
3: Gislaine Maxwell? How do you say it? Hey, she said that she gave her, those tapes to a friend so mm-hmm. so they won't take her out. That's what, that's what she told. She said, hey, you
5: but the problem is that won't make a
3: difference. He
5: can do they, what they he, was, he was. He was right when he album said album he could guy. shoot somebody. He was yeah, he's, right.
2: He's the fifth that-
3: album guy. I don't know. If that comes out, and he and he's with some fourteen-year-old. Oh, I don't know. It's <laughs> easy to talk about it, but when you see it, oh, that look at
5: that governor. What was that governor who who oh, had and, that? Oh, uh,
2: in Alabama, yeah, Roy that, something. Yeah, Roy. Yep, Roy. Cooper. That's, That's Alabama. Roy Cooper.
3: That's Alabama, man. Come on. I'm saying though, but you Alabama can't, is a proxy for this country. Yes, yes.
5: You cannot. Oh. Uh, uh, believe me. I wish a tape like that would make a difference. It should, it should make a difference. difference. But all the tape, the tape when he said he was going to grab him by the, you know what, that should have
3: made a difference. And it didn't. It. It but did. if you see him do it, I'm just yeah. telling you, when you see it, it's a big difference than talking about it.
2: Well, that you, you make a good point there. But that is a
3: good point. But I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know either, Lori. And here's the thing. And one thing that the incumbent has on Biden, because Lori's right. Uh, he is running ads, by the way, Lori. I just didn't have him queued up. I have seen ads. I have seen his rollout of his economic plan. So he's hitting some of the bells and whistles that are sort of bread and butter kitchen table issues that voters care about, that, that cliche. But the reason why I talk this way and why I keep saying landslide, and I'm not disagreeing with you all, and I am talking trash. I am seriously trash talking because where the incumbent is beating the Democrat is in voter enthusiasm. They're excited to go out and vote for him. He rallies his base with a whole bunch of stuff that ain't true, a whole bunch of stuff that's nothing but a bunch of lies and packed on uh, just uh, boilerplate stuff that isn't designed to be red meat for his base. And whether it's true or not, it doesn't factor into anything. So I'm stating things that are true. And when you talk about the Electoral College, the Lincoln Project is targeting Electoral College states. They have a plan that is the complete antithesis of complacency. They are planning to run through the tape, and they haven't even gotten started yet. And with regard to the closet racist that we are concerned about, which is a very legitimate concern, Lori Peacock, I say that with the rise of these George Floyd protests, that there's a ton of people that are going to come out this time compared to last time as well. And I still contend that there's a very, very solid chance that there's way more of them than the closet racist that we're speaking about. I'm just about out of time, but uh, I really appreciate this robust discussion. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. That was the incomparable Lori Peacock. That was the amazing Cat Brooks and the inimitable good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. All right, stay tuned for more y'all. We'll be right back after this.
0: This is Enjoy on Sacks, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, best internet radio on the planet.
4: doing everything they want to do now. Come on, come on, free Now. Come on, free zone, come on, go. Now. Come on, come on, free zone, go. Now. Come on, Now. Come on, free zone,
2: Yes, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bub School. My name is DJ Rome, and I am very excited about these next two guests. So. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, during the times of this pandemic, a lot of people in the mental health world and the education world and all types of disciplines have taken upon themselves to build some new resources that will meet this moment in time and kind of address the needs of the community as it stands right now. We're facing racism, we're facing brutality, we're facing a pandemic, we're facing a shortage of employment all kinds of things are pressing down upon us right now and there are varying degrees of access to support to meet this moment in time and i have two guests here right now who are aspiring and well not aspiring but they're they're doing just that and i'm here to have them share with us their very new platform that i am very excited to share with you this evening it's called the and now collective and one of these ladies has been here before and one is here for the very first time so let me Go to first our returning tam, uh, champ. <laughs> she's a co-founder <laughs> and a clinical psychologist. She uh, bridges the, uh, the the borders between Atlanta GA and uh, Oakland CA, y'all. <laughs> so Yes, that your... Oh, but you can't take the West Coast out of the woman, even though the woman's out of the West Coast. But she knows <laughs> you ask her what her preference is, she ain't going to hesitate. But uh, she is a clinical psychologist, and uh, she's been here before. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Dr. Dina Scott. Dr. Scott, are you there?
0: I am here, and it is such a pri- privilege and pleasure to be here again with you, Rome.
2: Yes, it's been a minute. First time in 2020, right?
0: It is. The first time in 2020.
2: Oh, well, fantastic. A lot has happened uh, this year, right? I mean, I've reached out to you a couple of times, and you were just so busy, and I want to talk to you about what has that exactly yes. kept you so busy. It's been crazy, right? So it has been nonstop nonstop so to that point you've been very busy uh, with our next guest and your partner uh, she's also a co-founder and lead equity practitioner out of la and uh has uh, got a nice little extensive resume as well that ranges from la to the bay area to new york city working in the respective fields of youth justice and restorative practices i think that's what it says here as well as uh inclusivity and equity uh, she's a lifelong learner, a graduate of Columbia University, as well as the UC Berkeley Ethnic Studies. Okay, so this is Dina's partner, y'all. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Connie Chu. Ms. Chu, are you there?
1: Yes, I am. So excited to be here. Thanks for having us.
2: Well, welcome on aboard. board. Like I said, Dr. Dina has been here multiple times, so I can only imagine the comfort level you experience by embarking upon such an important project as the Ann Now Collective with Dr. Dina Scott. Connie, welcome aboard. So ladies, How in the world did you come together to do (laughs) this? Who first wants to share with the audience of Psychotic Bum School? What is the And Now Collective? Let's go first to Dr. Dina and then Connie. Dr. Dina, tell us how this project came together and what it's all about.
0: Well, I feel like there are so many layers to this project. I mean, first and foremost, I want to give credit to Connie for pushing this forward in a way to where, we weren't just talking about doing, but we made it happen, and she definitely made it happen. Um, I think part of you know thinking about and now is really thinking about our our journeys um, when it comes to getting into both of our professions and the fact that our professions aren't just about the work but really our heart's work and we talk about this a lot Um, we had the privilege of meeting five years ago um, when we were working together um, as senior administrators at an independent school and immediately i was just drawn to connie because of her extreme passion when it came to looking at everything in a very complex justice oriented lens um, because that was what drew me into the field of psychology so For me, there's been so much of a kind of, I would say, karma (laughs) that has kind of come back Mm -hmm. to, hey, what do you feel like you need to do, Dina? What do you feel like really is going to push forward some of your heart's work? And so with Mm -hmm. Anne now, I feel like Connie has actually helped me to like see everything come to fruition in a way that i had hoped for a long time. Um, So... In so many, I would say she she has a lot to contribute to this conversation. But for me, just as a clinical psychologist, I got into the field because of my own childhood trauma. And for me, I've seen so much of a need for healing when it comes to my community, um, the Black community, and how it doesn't just connect to one family, but also a larger system. So everything that I do did in my journey to becoming a psychologist was really about connecting Acting those pieces to a larger system, um, and again, just five years ago, Connie and I met, and the rest is history.
2: How about that? Talk about seeking collective rising, Connie. Uh, how well does that match your description about how all this came together? What was it like for you?
1: It. I mean, if y'all could see me right now, I am smiling so big and cheesing because Dina... I can hear
2: her smiling right now. I can hear her smiling.
1: Dina has really just been a light for me. Even when we first met Mm -hmm. five years ago, I was in a new environment trying to push for equity and justice in a predominantly white institution. And so I know I spent a lot of time in Dina's office. We were both just kind of like, what is going on? Like, how can you make real change? And so, you know, Dina is someone that I look to and she sheds so much wisdom and light. Um, And I'm so grateful to be in this space with her. I, it's funny, I've been telling a lot of people as we, have been sharing publicly about Anne now that it was half by accident and half by design. So Dean and I have always been in conversations about um, equity and justice in the space of healing. Right, one cannot exist without that without the other. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And then once we started, you know, in the um, in the last, I would say probably like two months, Dina, we started yes. talking to different organizations, different individuals, different companies who were just like we don't know how to heal. We don't know how to move forward with the racial injustice and racial violence that's happening. And Mm -hmm. so Dean and I just, you know, dived in and we really grooved together and it really did feel like our heart's work was coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's so exciting is that, and now I think the mission is so, so, so ambitious, right? Because what we're really trying to do is to manifest this concept of collectivism in a nation that is just so steeped in individualism, right? And to be able right. to do so, we, we all have to reckon with how race and racism has really structured our past, our present and our future systems, right? We have to reckon with how insidious, how um, painful and frightening all of it is. And more importantly, we all have to heal, right? Especially as people of color, as black, Latinx, Asian, indigenous, um, multiracial communities, we have to heal. Right. right. And so that's something that Dina and I have talked about five years ago and we continue (laughs) to now and how it's so crucial to the equity and justice work.
2: Isn't it amazing that um, what I have said frequently on this show, I'm a psychologist as well. And so I've said, Dina and Connie, that in many ways I was kind of made for this moment because there has been so much of a need for people to heal. As Connie yeah. just said, it's may, you may not necessarily be able to access therapy in sort of a conventional sense of what we view therapy to be, mm-hmm. but in terms of being able to heal and to be able to better understand the social unrest that's happening in the country right now and talk about it in sort of a safe space sort of manner. So what can you ladies tell us? Let's start with Connie for this one. Um, tell us about some of the more recent events like the George Floyd protest, the pandemic. We're in the midst of a coronavirus right now uh what can you tell us in terms of specifics as to how you see uh meeting this moment um how has coronavirus george floyd protests about police brutality how has it impacted the respective communities that you serve during the course of your work connie and then i want to hear from dr scott
1: yeah 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 that's such a great question um and i think what we really try to do it and now is really to center race and really center racialized experiences from communities of color. And as we know, with George Floyd, with COVID, with just even tracing it further back, there is systemic racism running as a through line across all of these different aspects right and so part of the and now where we're calling for a reckoning with race and racism to go hand in hand with healing it's really thinking about racial trauma and racial hurt as rooted within a structure mm. um, where it's so much deeper than feelings of quote unquote being offended right or being excluded it's really about our rootedness in the history of this particular country and really examining the pattern of how and where the trauma comes from. And Mm. so what we've been really mindful and conscious of doing is trying to interlock justice and healing by centering race and centering the experiences of people of color. Um, And one of the things that we've actually been doing to meet the community's needs and in um, the different spaces that we've uh, been able to support is helping people name racial trauma as a structure, right? So whether it's movement within Black Lives Matter, matter whether it's within the global pandemic, the, the trauma, the pain, the despair, the sadness, the anger, all of those emotions and those pain, right, they're emerging out of racial hurt and tri- trauma, whether it's mm-hmm. direct violence, microaggressions, racial slur. Um, and so what we've been naming is that these emotions and these pain, they are inherited. They are intergenerational. They are with, right? They're erased or minimized by our dominant culture and mainstream curriculum. They're ongoing and long lasting that as if, as if there isn't a sense of an escape or an ending that feels hopeful yet. Right. So Mm. really naming that trauma as a structure, as systemic the way that racism is systemic. Um, Mm. And so that, in some ways, just starting with that naming has really started to, at least for me, and I think Dina too, has given us hope for the window that we can create in helping both communities of color heal and push, but also for white communities or for people in power structures to really think about how um, to leverage the momentum that is happening right now to continue pushing.
2: We do need to continue pushing. Uh, Dr. Dina, I'm coming to you in just a second, but before sure. I do, Connie, um, during this time, this the the leadership in this country has inappropriately ascribed the coronavirus to a part of the world, uh, Wuhan, China, and mm-hmm. so as a result, or you know, as a direct uh, aggregate of that, there's been increased violence and racism against Asian Americans. Um, are you able to articulate before I switch over to Dina ways in which? Uh, specifically Asian Americans have been impacted during this time?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great question. Um, so Asian Americans, if we were to look at the formation of uh, the Asian American identity within this country, it's often in some ways gone under the radar where we are mm-hmm. either hyper visible or we're um, completely invisible and race. And I think um, with the, um, the xenophobia that has come out of coronavirus and our people in power um, conflating a lot of just racial slurs and the fear and othering, there has been an uptick and a rise in violence against Asian Americans wherever they may be across this country, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even within cities where Los Angeles may have the reputation of being more, quote unquote, diverse and more open and inclusive, right? Even here, we see, um, you know, Asian Americans just doing their normal daily activities and being harassed, right? Whether it's being called names, whether it's getting things thrown at them, whether it's getting beat up. Um, And what's been so fascinating to watch is how this has really converged with um, the anti-Black racism that has been happening in this country, particularly with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, because there's been comparisons between, well, if, you know, like if we're focusing on um, Black Lives Matter, does that take away from the harassment and violence directed towards Asian Americans? And what we've been really trying to push is to say that no, like all of this is connected, right? None of us are free until all of us are free. So I think that's something that we've been really trying to push or I've been really pushing within the Asian American community is to really think about how things are connected, um, even if we're in different racial demographics and communities and even if we're, you know, in the different parts of our nation,
2: that's right, absolutely. Dr. Dina Scott.
1: sure. so
0: I you know completely feel what Connie just shared, and you know in thinking about even what you had mentioned, Rome, in terms of things being busier and in, in some sense for mm-hmm. mental health professionals right now. Yeah. I think you know when Thinking about the pandemic, when thinking about, you know, the continuation of racial injustice um, and the historical context, you know, of racial injustice within, you know, our country, there has been a lot of heaviness um, that I have personally felt around me um, from those that are clients, from those that are students, from those that are faculty and staff, administrators, from just, you know, colleagues from... I mean, people that I know personally. So I feel like there is this this tension that folks are holding because there's a lot of fear there's also a lot of rage that might also be expressed in different ways and there's also a lot of pain um that folks are feeling and that could be a result of you know the pandemic it could be a result of what's going on um, connected to race and so with all of those things i think happening and then also feeling a lack of control because right now you know we're in a you know Position to where you know folks are kind of wondering like is it safe to do this is it not safe are people telling me misinformation to where it might be sort more safe than I really think it is there's a lot of questioning that's going on and I think that that's also bringing up some questioning for folks. Around our systems in general, so there's questions around you know the health and, and well being, but also questions about our government, our systems, and how they've taken care or not taken care of certain groups of folks. Right. So I feel like there's just a lot of
7: yes.
9: you know
0: reconciliation that's mm-hmm. that's needed and required. Um, there's that much more healing that's also needed and required because the the level of I feel like heaviness and intensity is, right. is so there. And even, you know, for folks right now who are navigating the pandemic, you look at, you know, the statistics and the communities it's hitting the hardest. And that also lends to communities of color, um, particularly, you know, looking at some of the black and Latinx communities, you know, in this country. And so there's just constantly, I think, this sense of feeling like I'm carrying that weight. Um, and even myself and Connie have talked about, you know, for folks of color when some of the different things were being shown on the media, such as George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, a variety of back-to-back incidents, there are, you know, at times, maybe white colleagues or counterparts who are calling on some of their their colleagues or friends of color to, you know, in in some ways try to see how they can help, but sometimes that feels burdensome too. Mm-hmm. So again, the heaviness continues to rise. Um, so as much as I can, I think just trying in any venue I can, you know, and now my personal life, you know, private practice, to really have conversations with folks about ways to take off that weight. I'm in a healthy manner um, as well.
2: What came up for me was just the need to focus right now because there's so many issues to dial into right now that it's very easy to become distracted. It's very easy to feel a sense of being overwhelmed about where to start. Where do I dive into this fight? And the two of you have picked a particular type of focus because in Atlanta, just as one sad example, you guys just had Sequoria Turner out there, a little girl. Mm, Right. You know, and on and on. And uh, Connie, you know, pick up right there. Where do you see all this? Uh, What what do you think about what uh, Dina just said?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think that I echo so much of what Dina is saying. And I think that in providing the racial equity lens is to really think about healing in context within systems, right? Because none of us, right, as individuals, organizations, companies, as communities or entire cities, right, none of us exist within a vacuum, right? We all exist right. within a system. Um, and we know what the system is, right? The system has existed and continues to recreate itself so that it can continue existing. Um, and so I think part of what um, Dina shared, and I love that she opened with, you know, feelings are important and it's important to understand, see, hold, sit with, and we are not in any way trying to dismiss that because feelings are important. and. Um, what we are pushing for also is how do those feelings, how are those um, contextualized within the systems that we're operating? And so one thing that Dina and I have talked about um, is, and actually, we're, I think we're talking about today, Dina, is this difference between self-care and community care, right? Where mm-hmm. That right now is so much more important given the global pandemic, given racial injustice. It is not just about, you know, Connie, myself t- doing self-care. It is... How am I participating in community care for my Asian American folks, for my people of color folks, for my um, black folks, right? for all the people that I am in community with? It's not just about me, but it's really about how we can lift each other up knowing the, um, and knowing and understanding the oppressive, system, oppressive systems that we all exist within. Um, and something that's really interesting that Gina and I have talked about before we started And Now is that um, there, there's actually a field um, that studies this phenomenon of epigenetics and how mm. genes express themselves, right? And this big question of can a legacy of trauma be passed down through the generations within our bodies, right? Right. We, wow. we know that legacies of trauma are passed down socially and culturally through the um, the many stories and traditions within families and societies, right? But the question being asked is, how are, are all of these connected to form a structure that contains our racialized experiences from generation to generation, right? And Dina and I are not experts or researchers or scientists in this field, but it is right. something that we're we it re, it really resonates with us, right? So we're doing a ton of self learning, um, and we're really curious about how this impacts the healing process for this community right whatever community we op- we move in and also as an entire nation right and dina i love that you use the word reconciliation because i do think that's a huge part of Absolutely. the healing process that we're talking about especially through a equity um racial equity lens
2: oh i've called it a rapturous reckoning that we're experiencing right <laughs> now and it's being felt right? and reverberating all over this country and all over the planet really so I have a question for both of you before we let you go. When when I think about some of the rhetorical traps that are out there, when it comes to people circling their cultural wagons, if you will, mm. how does the and now collective approach empathy, particularly when someone is sort of antithetical to the position that you hold, when it, when people say BLM or Black Lives Matter sometimes, it's, it's a very polarizing uh, effect, meaning it's like, well, all lives matter, don't they? Um, How does the and Now Collective approach empathy? And we've been talking about it, so don't feel like you have to (laughs) reinvent what you've said already because you've already answered this question to be honest with you. But what I find challenging is having and finding a way to empathize with people who are not sympathetic to the cause of uh, why we're circling this particular wagon right now. Uh, Empathy as the and Now Collective sees it. How do you both approach empathy? Uh, Can we have Connie on that first and then swing over to Dr. Scott?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a really great question. And we get that a lot, I think, even outside and before of and now. Um, And I think Dina and I have had this conversation where empathy, empathy is a really interesting concept and act, right? Because I do think that there are limits to empathy um, where you have to really see yourself in another person to then feel like you are connected, um, and the challenge that we are in right now is just that people just do not see themselves in each other. Right? There is a sense of complete disconnect or divide between communities or even geographies who are not in proximity to each other. Right? And um, someone, um, the uh, um, Brian Stevenson, who Dina and I both love. Right? Oh, he yeah. is a love. He is always talking about being proximate and we aren't proximate as a nation, we aren't proximate as a community, we aren't proximate as individuals, and that is where empathy is hitting a wall, right? If we're not proximate with each other, and it doesn't always have to be physical proximation or physical proximity, even emotional proximity or social proximity, right? We until we can get proximate and really understand each other and Everything that we stand everything that we stand for and represent empathy becomes a uh, um and in in my it, the way I see it empathy becomes kind of like an empty word where we Mm -hmm. grow as a buzzword, right? And so the way that now approaches this gap is to really focus on identity because everyone has an identity, Mm -hmm. right? Just like how everyone has a race, right? White people have a race. Like we forget this, but white people have a race. Um, Everyone has their story. Everyone has the journey of, you know, how their identities formed, whether they know it or not, right? So part Mm -hmm. of that now is really pulling out their identity, right? What do they feel affirmed about in their identity? Where are their tensions in their identity? Where are there places that they're scared of because of, mm-hmm. you know, what their identity represents in the world? And so a lot of our work in the and now space is about identity development, which mm. as far as I've known, is a, pretty big shift because we do identity development in some progressive schools where we do it with children, but I haven't actually seen grown adults do identity development work within companies or organizations, right? Because we tend to just be like, ah, identity, whatever, it doesn't mean anything, but actually identity is core to it. Everything that we find meaning and create meaning in, so a yes. lot of our work is really focusing on that and leading with race, right? And not to be colorblind, mm-hmm. but being really color brave and knowing that this, you know, work around identity is messy because as humans we are messy, right? And really embracing that yeah. um, and finding the connections that we can within how um, different our journeys and our experiences are and there's beauty in that right there's so much beauty in that and so much resiliency and we're really helping people co-discover that um and Mm. co-create meaning together
2: oh absolutely dr dina scott
1: sure i mean i think you know
0: when thinking about empathy and just when thinking about what connie just shared in terms of just the the need to center ourselves around identity and identity development for me i think one of the things that we've also when we've started this work, when we've been doing this work with some of the folks, um, actually even right now, is to talk about there might be this, this desire that folks have to become empathetic, to, you know, have a lens of empathy But more than anything, we want to make sure that folks are not creating barriers to equity, inclusion, and justice, that folks are not causing pain um, to others that are around them, um, that, you know, we're able to figure out ways to understand self and understand others more. And so I think when I, you know, hear, you know, Connie speak, and I think about our work, you know, it is so, so important for folks to, learn identity in relationship to history, and to learn identity into relationship to our own personal stories. And so as much as we can do that, that can create those connections that then can create some of that empathetic lens that we're hoping for. But more than anything, we wanna make sure that those barriers and that that pain is not happening. So Mm -hmm. how can we help to stop that?
2: Absolutely. Wow, we have our work cut out for us. I mean, we're talking about reopening schools, and wearing masks. Yep. All yeah. of those topics and discussions are very, very toxic right now. And it is challenging for people to see the, the validity of someone else's positions. And uh, that's why I was curious to see where you, both of y'all stood on that. They call themselves the And Now Collective. Connie Chu and Dr. Dina Scott, what is the best way for people to get in touch with the both of you and find the work of the And Now Collective?
1: Yeah, I, I think we are building as we go. But the best way right now is actually to visit our website, um, which is and-now-collective.com. Um, and we hope that you know people take the time to explore our website, get to know us, our stories, our mission, um, and hope that you've been in conversation with us just by visiting our website. And we really look forward to hearing from you all.
2: Oh, you will definitely be hearing from us again. Uh, That's Connie Chu, lead equity practitioner and co-founder of the And Now Collective. And we also heard from the inimitable Dr. Dina Scott, clinical psychotherapist, as well as co-founder of the And Now Collective. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Romo, and I thank you for joining us this evening. Check back with us. We shall return next week. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening. Kat Brooks, Jeffrey Keller, Lori Peacock, Connie Chu, and of course, Dr. Dina Scott. I also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.